right, I had some important things to say. I really had some important things to tell you right now, but I got to break some news. Squirrels are having sex with 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 more squirrels. Now, I don't have any scientific data to back this up, but there are way more squirrels than there used to be. Are you kidding me? When I was growing up, you'd see three to four squirrels a month. And it was cute. You would point it out. Oh, look, a squirrel. You see? In the distance, a squirrel on that tree. Or in the park. Oh, look at it. Look at it. Look at at a little squirrel. Nowadays, I leave my house. I see 12 squirrels immediately. In the trees. On the telephone wires. Under my car. Under my feet. Nibbling on my nuts. Okay, that last part I made up. But everything else, true, totally true. And they're fearless. I used to think squirrels kept a distance. I used to think that was part of the agreement. Squirrels keep a distance because they're unpredictable. They move so fast, they're scary. And they fly. You've seen it, they fly branch to branch. I've seen it. I've seen a squirrel probably fly 15 feet. So that jump off the diving board we call the flying squirrel, there's the origin. They really can fly a little bit. You ever seen a squirrel scratch its face? How fast is that little foot scratching that little face? So fast, it just looks like a hummingbird wing. And that is how fast they procreate. That is how fast squirrels have sex with other squirrels, have sex with other squirrels, have sex with other squirrels, making more squirrels, and they don't give a shit. They don't care. They don't think, oh, this neighborhood belongs to human beings. No, squirrels are happily going to overpopulate. They're the opposite of going extinct. I don't know the scientific term. What's the opposite of going extinct? That's what's happening. They're just going to outnumber every other species. And they've become far less cute. And they have scared me. On my dog walks, some get too close. And I don't know why. Maybe they smell the treats in my pocket. And even if they do, would they really come that close? I see them chasing each other. I see them wrestling with each other. I see them fucking. I mean, I don't know what's going on. But this has completely disrupted the flow of the podcast. Because I was going to start with some really eloquent, almost poetic rhetoric. And instead, instead we had to endure that. But maybe you've noticed times are changing. Times are a changing as Bob Dylan told us. You know how else I know times are a changing? We're going to have a world of designer babies. There used to be some things that I thought sounded futuristic. And then I do a little research and I realize, oh, it's here. Like I used to think self-driving cars. Wow, self-driving cars. Maybe one day in a hundred years. And somebody will point out, no, maybe today. And I actually saw one. But what if I say designer babies? What do you think of? Parents that can actually go to the doctor and say, yeah, we want to have a boy. Or we want to have a girl. It doesn't just stop there. And I know there are some advancements in the world of medicine and scientific breakthroughs that have allowed parents to test for genetic defects and abnormalities. And parents can now make choices. They can make choices. And this is a dilemma for many people, wondering, wait, should we be making these choices? And I'm not just talking about choosing boy or girl. And I'm not just talking about making sure there's no chromosomal abnormalities, but PGD. It's not really that common of an acronym. You don't really just hear PGD and understand what I'm talking about. Pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. So allowing doctors to test the embryos before they're implanted into a woman's womb. Yes, wealthy people can do this. 
so they could test. And if there's anything that looks a little off, they say no until they find what they want. And then what's going to happen is the ability to filter out certain diseases. Sounds good. Sounds like it would help the advancement of the human race, right? But some people say, fuck no. Some people view this along the lines of eugenics, arranging reproduction within a human population to increase the desirable characteristics. You know, this idea of improving the human race. And then, of course, many critics said, nah, it could be racially biased or something like that. Unscientific. You don't want to touch that. You don't want to play God, they say. But what does playing God mean? If we humans have gained enough intelligence and some people can afford this to make it a possibility to say, I want zero risk with my embryo. I want to have a pregnancy. I want to have a kid that is healthy. No chance of any of these diseases we're able to filter out. It does become a pretty hot conversation. It becomes a pretty controversial topic. And I used to think this was all 50, 100, 200 years away. God, am I naive. PGD. I mean, it's expensive. These wealthy parents that are paying colleges to accept their kids. These are definitely the same parents that are just going to pay the doctors. Make our kid tall. Make our kid an expert rower whose cursive is just stunning. Make our kid a scientist. Where would it end? Where would it end if you had this checklist of things you want before creating another human? It probably wouldn't end. This is big business. Anything connected to dollars and cents is just going to grow and grow and grow and advance and increase in its availability and be refined. I've read that you can now actually contact companies that claim they could manufacture behavioral traits for your baby, intelligence, sexual orientation, musical pitch, physical characteristics, height, blonde hair, blue eyes. Oh God, isn't this gross? Isn't this gross? Or is this smart? I don't know. This is one of those debates where I'd love to hear from both sides and I'd probably be easily convinced. See, on the surface, on the surface, if you go meet with a doctor, get an ultrasound and you find out, you know, something there, uh, some things wrong, some things wrong with this fetus. And it gives the parents the opportunity to say, then we don't want to have that baby. I mean, that's one of the biggest conversations humans could ever have. Well, then we don't want to have that baby. People have had these conversations, but that's only because we've advanced with ultrasounds. We've advanced to really dissect the problematic issues. Women used to get pregnant and then nine months later, they would find out everything about the kid. Now women know most things about the kid. If in fact you have modern medicine or access to those top tier doctors, we've advanced so much that now you wonder what's ethical. Isn't it all blurry now? What's ethical? Isn't it blurry? How about with buying a dog? I know talking about humans, it's too serious. Got too serious there. But with a dog, if someone told me, yeah, you could have a bulldog, but their lifespan is like 10 years and they have a bunch of skin issues and eye issues and it'll cost you a lot of money, but you could have a bulldog. And then I found out that there's a specific breeder out there who's like, yeah, we're breeding different bulldogs, bulldogs that don't have any health issues. No medical issues. Bulldogs that live until they're 18 years old. You want those bulldogs? Well, $20,000. And those are my choices. Okay, bulldogs how they used to be or the advanced bulldog? Well, wealthier people might choose the advanced bulldog and they know what they're getting. 
And then you wonder, as you own that bulldog, wait, did I just play God? Did the breeder play God? Are we playing God? And the answer is yes, we play God so often as humans. It's funny to even think that's a discussion. That's a controversial topic, playing God. It's about 50 things I can name off the top of my head that we play God. We've manipulated this planet to fit us, to make us more cozy and comfortable. Was it God's plan, all the things that we created, man-made creations? What did humans add to this natural planet? Isn't that playing God in a certain sense? I don't know. Should I just backpedal out of this one? How about this? I've talked about this so many times, but feeling big and feeling small all within the same lifetime. Like right now, technically I'm just a speck of dust, right? If you think about how many beings there are and how small I am in terms of the grand, expansive, broad universe, I'm tiny. But because my world, perceiving it from my mind, my eyes, is all I know that there is a bigness to it. Things feel big. You know, they say, don't sweat the small stuff. We all sweat the small stuff. We all do. I don't even know how to identify what the small stuff is because I just sweat it. I sweat the shit out of the small stuff. I'm sweating right now about small stuff. I'm sweating right now because I've had five cups of coffee and I'm getting a little jittery and I already had to Google what's the proper amount of coffee for a human to have per day. And I found an article that said three to five cups per day is fine. And that's the only article I need to read. So I'm fine. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm sweating. I guess that's not sweating the small stuff. I guess that's actually sweating coffee, sweating hot black Starbucks coffee. So good. Hold on. Let me take another sip right now. That's not good. That's not good. My caffeine intake, it's not good. I'll probably need some Crest White Strips. And then I'll probably crash hard during this podcast. Oh, yeah. I was saying, you feel big and you feel small all within the same lifetime. And what brought this up was a word I heard Obama say during a 60 Minutes interview a couple of weeks ago. It's a word I know, but I've never really analyzed. And that word is megalomania. And Obama was talking about how when he decided to run for Senate, when he decided to run for president, asking himself, how much of this is just megalomania? How much of this is vanity? Just me trying to prove something to myself. And then over time, he said, I guess I made the conclusion that I will not stand in the way of this. And Michelle said, all right, I guess we'll do it. Because Michelle did not want this at first. Michelle Obama, she didn't desire that life, that White House life. She understood the problems that would come with it. And I was thinking, megalomania. Obama actually had enough self-awareness to wonder, well, if I want to be the president of the United States, if I want to be the leader of the free world, does that make me a megalomaniac? Meaning a person who is obsessed with their own power. Obsessed. You never look at Obama like that. But you know something? To say I want to be president means you got to have a pretty big ego. If that was the poll question, how many Americans, if they could snap their fingers right now, would want to be president of the United States? My guess is 7%, maybe less. Most of us don't want that job, right? Doesn't that job sound kind of awful? You immediately sign up for people hating you. Probably a bunch of death threats. Realizing that your opinions are not just your opinions, but they matter. Your executive orders, they're not just things that you'd prefer to see, but it's life or death for many people. And when Obama said that, I had to wonder how much of this is megalomania. I was like, wow, does that exist within a lot of us? Just being obsessed with our power, not, you know, power over the country or power over people, but just what is our power? 
in this world. We become obsessed with it. And then you have to realize we're so powerless. Make a list right now. What are the things you have power over? It's a small list, right? And then what are the things you're powerless to? That's the longest list you could ever write. But I do like a president who at least contemplates, is this megalomania? Me wanting to be the president? Me wanting to be heard? Me wanting my opinions to matter so much? You see so much megalomania. It's fun to say. You see so much megalomania on social media that it's sickening, right? All these people are like, oh, wait till I post this. Oh God, yes. Look at that. Look at that. Let me just float this comment out there and wait for the likes or wait for the reaction. So many people act like they're doing something powerful. I'm obsessed with my posts on Twitter. Oh, and all my followers must be so influenced and affected by this. There was one tweet I saw this week. One tweet I saw this week that I loved so much, it made me rethink everything about this social media generation. And it was from Robert Griffin III, RG3, who actually is still in the NFL. I guess he's a backup with the Ravens. Who knew? Maybe big-time football fans. But I just remember RG3 coming out of Baylor, second overall pick, busting on the scene with the Redskins, just blowing us all away. I remember watching his first three, four, five games, and I'm like, whoa, this is the next big thing, RG3. Now, that fizzled pretty quickly. But Robert Griffin III on Twitter, and I don't even follow him on Twitter, but someone must have retweeted it or retweeted another retweet of it, and I'll just read it to you. Robert Griffin III tweets, Social media has made too many people comfortable with disrespecting people without consequences. And that could just be a passing tweet, you know, like a touchy celebrity, like, oh, I got my feelings hurt. Or we could really realize what that tweet means. We have a generation of people who are becoming very comfortable disrespecting others without any consequences. It's not a new topic. But really, when you think about that, if you wanted to disrespect people before social media, before this cyber world of toxic communication, this isn't healthy discourse for two strangers who are never going to meet to become keyboard warriors, uncensored keyboard warriors, and just say, it's my right, it's my freedom, it's my right. True. Okay, I'm not arguing that. Freedom of speech, of course. A lot of it is covered by the Constitution. I get that. But without consequences is the key. You didn't just used to say something shitty to somebody and continue with your day. You would be subjected to a good old-fashioned beating. Now, like I said, I'm not a violent person. But these morons who just tweet mean things and then their day continues, not realizing that you might have hurt someone's feelings. They deserve beatings. So if they say, it's my right, sure, absolutely, that was your right to tweet something very mean to another person. That was your right, okay? You used it, your freedom of speech, your freedom of expression, hope you're happy. But also, receiving a beating, like a physical beating, should often be the consequence. And I know, I know, I know, it's not legal. You can't just assault somebody for saying something mean to you. But isn't that kind of what RG3 is saying? There should be some consequences. I don't mean consequences like Twitter reprimands you, Twitter suspends your account. I mean, it would be the greatest fantasy to know that mean people on Twitter five times per year receive a beating, just an absolute beating, and then see if it continues. Because if you could just say the shittiest, meanest, most disrespectful, offensive things to someone, and there's no consequences, then what kind of world have we created? Why do we even teach people to be polite? We teach people to be polite 
because it's how we want to be treated. Like, why am I polite to others? I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to feel happy. Total strangers. I do. But also, I'd love it to be reciprocal. I don't know if that's being taught. And indirectly, it's not. Because social media is becoming how people comfortably communicate. But don't you just often read things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you go, oh, that guy needs a beating. No one's handing out beatings. Everybody's handing out disrespectful comments. Everybody's just handing them out. Oh, here you go. Here's a disrespectful comment. That's probably going to hurt your day. That person's never going to receive a beating. They should receive a beating. There should be a proposition on the next ballot. A beating proposition. Prop B. Are you for beatings? You can't be anonymous anymore on social media. You got to have your name. You got to have your address, phone number. Oh, wouldn't that be beautiful? If everybody, it was a law. You can write anything you want on social media. Anything you want. But you also have to have your first and last name, the last four of your social, the last four of your credit card number, and the three numbers on the back, your address and phone number. And then go ahead. You got all the freedoms you want. Are you still going to write something to RG3 like, you're a fucking bust? Are you still going to write that? No. No, you're not. Oh, and with Prop B, you can write it, but you also receive a few beatings per year. You still going to write that? Oh, you're not? Oh, you're not? You piece of shit, get at it. Oh, I just wish I was in the mob for one day where somebody comes at me in a restaurant. I'm hanging out with my boys and they disrespect me and I stand up and I go, what the fuck did you just say? Then I tell all my friends, no, 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 no. Sit down, sit down. What did he just say? Oh boy. Hello, fiction dancing in my head throughout the day. Hello, fiction. Hello, fiction, my old friend. Wait, are there really... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are there really people going to the bathroom without their phones? Don't be grossed out by it. Okay? Don't be grossed out by it. But you think there's still humans going to the bathroom today without their phones? It's a miracle I haven't dropped mine in the toilet. It's an absolute miracle. You know, these are real miracles we're living through. In the urinal? How has my phone survived the urinal, the toilet, all these years? I don't know. Because I don't have any memories of going into the bathroom without my phone in my hand. And if I left my phone elsewhere, I'd panic. What am I doing in here? Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm in the bathroom without my iPhone. Oh, no. Start crying. Screaming. My wife just hears me screaming in the bathroom. Honey. I'm in a difficult situation. Some of you listening right now are saying, oh, come on, come on. But most of you listening right now are saying, yep, should probably not be so addicted. I mean, addicted to the point we're going into that bathroom without your phone. Sounds like an empty experience. I don't know how long you plan to be in there. I don't even know what you're doing in there, but your phone's with you, right? My guess is that 92% of you are nodding right now. Like, yeah, you son of a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, next topic. You called me out. Now I'm interested in another topic. Okay. It's to the point. I have nothing to look at on my phone, by the way. I'm not that popular. Okay. I'm not tweeting a bunch. I'm not looking for likes on Facebook. I don't even know what I'm doing with the phone anymore. What am I doing with the phone? Honestly, I guess I'm just Googling things about how the election is still unfolding because that is so fucking consuming still. I need to stop. It's like self-harm. When you Google anything that's still happening with the election, it's self-harm. Because to just say Biden won and go along with your day, which feels right, it just feels healthy to say, okay, Biden won the election. There's no proof of fraud. And then you see how ugly it gets. 
uh, you, know, you know what I mean. You see how ugly it gets when you start reading the articles and then reading the message boards under the articles and you see all that and you go, oh, that, oh, that got ugly. Uh, I guess I'm addicted to that. I guess I do self-harm with how I peruse the internet. But I shouldn't. I shouldn't. It gets so ugly that I was on campus recently. No students yet, but sometimes I do the remote learning Zooms from my actual classroom and I went to use the bathroom between classes. Uh, number one, I just want to announce that. And I had to reach for my phone. That whole process is like 45 seconds. Eh, sometimes a minute. Okay. Is this an overshare? Of course. The whole podcast is an overshare. And I had to have my phone. I remember being powerless as my hand went to my pants pocket to get my phone out. And in those 45 seconds, number one, folks, I'm talking about number one. I had to put in my code. Deet, deet, beep, beep, deet, deet, and look, do I have texts? All right. What about Facebook? All right, should I Google Trump? Right? What the fuck is wrong with me? Couldn't even piss without the phone. I don't want the phone anymore. Okay? I need to press reset. On the game of life. Ah, that's a little extreme, isn't it? Hey, pal, why don't you have another cup of coffee? Hey, Tweak, have some coffee. All right. You know something? It's time. It's time to finally discuss the Ikea furniture names. I know you've been waiting. I know, I know, I know. You had to wait this long. But we should discuss this. The Ikea furniture names. We've just been saying these for years. I used to live 30 yards from an Ikea in San Diego. Ikea was like my backyard. Ikea was normal. It was normal for me to go eat at the Ikea cafeteria without shopping. It was normal for me to just go buy a fork at Ikea. That's how close I lived to Ikea. I wouldn't even go walk through the maze. I knew how to get around the maze if I was like, oh, I need a houseplant. Boom. Oh, I need the shower curtain rings. Beep, 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 beep. I need an egg beater. Beep, beep. I knew how to navigate through that Ikea maze that some people don't. Some people are still stuck in the Ikea maze. Actually, that's a fact. Some people are stuck there for life. I know it's very sad to think about, but some people are just going around kitchenware, furniture, beds, houseware, garden, art, and repeat, and repeat. And get me out of here. Well, guess what, fuckface? Sorry. You guys are such sweet listeners. You don't have to be subjected to that verbal attack. I'm just going to rewind and go back and say, well, guess what, good folks? I don't know where fuckfaces came from, but guess what, my friends? Ikea's been around since 1943. Did I look that up? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I looked that up. I didn't just know that. But Ikea's been around since 1943. If I didn't Google that and somebody asked me, when did Ikea begin? I'd say like, I don't know, 2002? That's how wrong I would be. You ever so wrong about someone or something? It's just like, whoa, maybe I shouldn't answer questions anymore. I was that wrong. So Ikea from Sweden, a 17-year-old Swedish kid, Nerf Kastenerfen, what's his name? That's not true. But he started Ikea in 1943. And now I'm here to tell you, Ikea is a part of all of our lives. It's a part of your life. It's a part of my life. You get the catalog. We can't pronounce the names. We don't even know what we're saying. But my wife and I right now, we're looking for closet doors. I looked it up. I went through all the closet doors. Okay, fine. By the way, Ikea's prices have gone up, right? There's been an uptick. Maybe Ikea is more quality than it used to be. Ikea used to just be the shittiest furniture that I, of course, could not assemble. But I think Ikea is nice now. At least the prices dictate nice things. But I'm just going to read some of the names of the furniture. Because as I was saying things to my wife, like, well, maybe we should take a closer look at the Nansk. And she's like, what did you just say? Well, I'm looking at closet doors and I was thinking the Nansk looks good. 
Nansk. Nothing's just like, you know, white trimmed mirror door. They make you say these things. They make you say these things no matter what mood you're in. So now I'm going to just play a little game with you right now. You can play this as you listen. Play this game. I'm going to say a name of something you'll find at Ikea. And either it's real or I made it up. Either it's real, something you could actually find at Ikea, or I made it up. And I want you to guess after each thing I say. All right, I'll start with this. Fjörkenting. Fjörkenting. Okay, I gave you time to guess. Those are the block candles. I didn't make that one up. Okay, ready? Pernsk. Pernsk. Um, yeah, I made that one up. Okay, how about this one? Gronkula. Gronkula. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> made that one up. Uh, how about this one? Sparsum. Sparsum. Those are the fluorescent tubes. Uh, how about this one? Nunstorp. Nunstorp. That's a chaise. So that's a real one. How about Omjuk? Omjuk. That's a real one. It's a mug. If you find a mug there. I, I want the Omjuk. You want more? Are you playing along at home? Ektorp. Mm, Ektorp. That's a sofa. Honey, I kind of want the Brengst. Or the Ektorp, and you're actually saying things. Umberlug. Umberlug. That's one of their silver pots with a lid. Not kidding. The problem is, as my old dog coughs in the background, hey, shut the fuck up. The problem is, I could say some that I feel like I'm making up, but they might just be real names. So I'll tell you ahead of time. I'm going to make one up right now. Um, Zanadusk. Zanadusk. That's not anything, but you might Google Zanadusk and you'll realize, oh, he's talking about the Ottoman that we've had our eyes on. How about this one? Prikig. Prikig. I'm on their website right now. That's a microwave lid. A 10-inch microwave lid. Who's using a microwave lid? Just let it splatter, okay? Just let it splatter all over the place and then apologize to whoever you live with. This is fun. Have you stopped listening yet? You probably should. Um... All right, fuck it. I'm not making any more up. I'm just going to tell you. Klokren is a splatter screen on a pan. <laughs> Hemaglad is a crepe pan. Umbarlig. Oh, it's the pot with lid. I did that already. What else? Kavalkad. That's a frying pan. And Nirsken Bananskun Nirsken Nansk Nirsken Mananansk Nirsk is uh, one of their sinks, one of their bathroom sink sets. Did not make that up. Did not make that up. All right. You made it through episode 117. Oh, make my day. How high can I get? How high can this voice go? You don't know. You don't know. You've heard the Bee Gees, of course. I respect the brothers Gib. I respect the Bee Gees. But let's really talk. Let's talk about the Mannequin soundtrack. You know that song? And we can build this dream together, standing strong forever. Nothing's gonna stop us now. That's one of the greatest songs ever. I'm sorry. It just is. It's timeless. It'll never suck or jump the shark. I'll say it again. Actually, I'll just recite the lyric. We can build this dream together, standing strong forever. Nothing's gonna stop us now. I said that to my wife. 
as we were preparing for my daughter's third birthday. I just felt so powerful, like such a megalomaniac. Muggsy, come on. Uh, I said, we can build this dream together, standing strong forever. Nothing's going to stop us now. And then guess what? I Googled the guitar chords and I told my wife, it's duet time and she's going to kill me because I filmed it and now I'm going to play it on the podcast and that's how we're going to go out today. Oh boy, I'll be in trouble for this. But here you go. Episode 117 ends with a little ditty from the Mannequin soundtrack. Muggsy, come on, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Listen, can you hear this? All right, I guess he's done. And we are done too. Episode 117, it's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. All right, we're going into it big. Here we go. Let him say he went crazy. Don't care about that. Put your hands